clapped earlier, unrelated to the stream, and Watson like just shot, like shot up, like a Looney Tunes character, like the legs in a blur underneath him. He always and he always just looks at me like. He just stares into my soul when I do when I do stuff like that. Why did you do this? Why did you upset yeah, me? Exactly like that. My day was going perfectly. You ruined it. Ruined it. So I guess a little follow up from getting getting the work laptop and then just being like, all right, I guess I'm back on Mac full time after some Windows experimenting and a lot of complaining. So I have a couple of follow up items. Number one. Uh, is I wiped my personal laptop after I uh, got everything set up on my work laptop. After I got moved over to that, I did a fresh uh, wipe of my personal laptop. It's a bold move. And it seemingly has fixed a bunch of the Bluetooth issues. Uh, I haven't used it as much, obviously, because I'm using you know my other laptop for eight hours a day. But it seems to be more stable than it has had been. Sure, that's not just a placebo effect. Yes, Okay, hundred hundred percent sure. Uh, mostly because like the Bluetooth devices would just disconnect randomly, and I'd have to sit here and wait for it. So I've been doing some studying and and just you know random stuff on it on the weekend. I haven't had the issue once, um, and I haven't had as much of a problem with key repeats happening. They do happen sometimes still, but I feel like they also happen sometimes with the work laptop too. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not like double slapping the key, but. It could be, but anyway, like it, things do feel marginally better. Uh, you know, I still hate the keyboard on that on that old laptop, but you just gotta you just gotta defrag the hard drive. How many years has it been? It's been like three years since I've had that laptop, and like I think it was kind of due for it. Yeah, so I I set it all up. It didn't take me that long. Just ASDF for everything, version management set up for some various apps that I've been using. So I have basically my work laptop and my personal laptop are almost mirrors of each other. That's the dream, right? Yep. So much so that I was trying to Google, can you sync Mac settings from Mac to Mac? <laughs> See, now, cool. now you're getting into dangerous territory where you, you really, really what you want is just like a thin client. Yeah. <laughs> Which we can talk about that more later if we get some time, but uh, with all the cloud video game streaming services that are popping up now. Amazon just announced theirs today. And Xbox, you know, Microsoft's going to have theirs. xCloud not yet announced officially. And Google has Stadia. And... xCloud? Yeah, that's uh, Microsoft's streaming gaming offer. Interesting. That's part of their, uh, I think it's part of their uh, Game Pass thing. It's going to be an add-on to that. They haven't officially announced it yet, but xCloud is the sort of like code name that people are calling it because they don't know. Okay. But it's a thing, and everyone's trying to make it a thing. I really, I don't understand why the 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 single hardest thing you could possibly try to stream across the internet is real time high quality graphics. Like, I don't know, man. I I, I don't remains to be seen if that's gonna take off or what. It'll take off. Yeah, because I feel like I I don't I'm not like the target market. I feel like for this because I have a PC that I built for playing games, but I feel like. Uh, I, I if, so if I'm looking at buying a system now, I'm looking at PS5 versus Xbox, right? I mean, I have a you know or a Switch, I suppose, but really PS5 and Xbox, whatever the model is. I hear people complaining about the new naming structure for those. It's real bad. Yeah, I hear I hear about that stuff. I feel like I would have real like so so when you buy when you buy the system, you have it until it dies or until the next one comes out, right? That's sort of commitment, right? Until it red rings. 
until it red rings, and you have to wrap it in a towel and overheat it to fix it, uh, to kill the virus off, virus off or whatever. Um, it's just a commitment issue, I think, honestly. Like, that's for the same reason why I feel like even though my personal Mac is feeling a little bit more stable, I would have a very hard time just going out and buying a new Mac right now for myself. Um, Apple SOC sort of helps me with that. It's committing to that device for however long you've decided it's worth the, the monetary investment for, right? Uh, so for me, I have a PC, so maybe this is kind of validates my argument, but I feel like services like that, if you have the internet quality and can get away with it, it's sort of like you can cancel that service whenever you don't want it anymore. So you you can kind of like, I wanna, I'll try this out for a while, and if you don't like it, you just stop it. You're not stuck with this machine that you have, you know? That's that's my thought on it. Is it's it's less of a commitment up front. Yeah, and I, I guess we, like you said, the, we're not the target market. Like we want to play the games locally, as was intended. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's just funny to see the whole infrastructure of modern computing go from the early days of you know mainframes because computers are really expensive, mainframes and cheap terminals that are just basically a keyboard and a monitor, right? And you just kind of stream a terminal from a mainframe and you sort of timeshare the CPU cycles on that mainframe to, you know, the explosion Moore's law of personal computers and that becoming just the price and the power getting so cheap and so powerful and consolidating it into, you know, little, uh, you know, personal computers. And then the connectivity of it becoming the major factor in the portability and then everything suddenly goes back to we don't call it mainframes now, we just call it the cloud, but it's all the same stuff, right? And thin clients like Chromebooks, and now we've got streaming, you know, streaming video, everything. You don't download, you don't own content, you don't own a huge library of music. I do, because I'm an old person. You don't own libraries of video, you just stream it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's going to be the same with games that are tens and twenties of gigabytes and require video cards that cost, you know, <laughs> more than a cheap car. Like, yeah. It's really interesting to see. It was kind of expensive. This 2080 I have uh, in this uh, computer over here, and I don't use it. It just kind of hangs out next to my uh, my legs. <laughs> Keeps them warm. Yeah, it's sort of like that. Like When I'm talking about buying, I'm not only talking about buying just a PC, like, especially if you're talking about PC gaming, right? So like talking about buying, I think PC gaming is even worse because... You either, depending on your budget, you buy something mid-tier and it lasts X number of years, or you buy something high-tier and it lasts X number of years. But the cost isn't proportional to the relevancy of it. Yeah, and the machine moves on, right? The machine keeps churning, so there's performance updates and performance updates. And uh, I don't, I haven't really looked into the new Nvidia stuff too much, but people saying saying that the mid-tier 30 series outperforms the the 2080s in the the high tier of the last version i'm like oh man you know i mean it's cool that like my 20 is gonna last a long time that's why i got it but thinking about like if jamie wanted because she's been playing on a laptop so if she wanted to build a gaming pc uh and it's fine for her to have a better computer than me i'm not this is not what that's not what i'm getting at but i'm like she's gonna have this badass like graphics card and she only paid half the price that i did you know what i mean that's how it goes man you just gotta live with that (laughs) or or you can just play games that are five years old and run fine on mid-tier hardware forever and they just always be behind the curve and just be okay with not having the latest and greatest that's the uh that's the real you know big brain money saving option <laughs> the big brain the the 2000 iq or whatever three the four the five head play yeah i don't know what all the, the terms are these days but too many memes 
too many memes, yeah. I struggle with the same thing too, like with the uh you're talking about your two having two Macs. And obviously you have a work and a personal one, so there there's at least a little bit of separation there and concerns. But you're doing the same thing on both of them, right? I and I've got I it's just so nice having a single computer. I I will say it's nice having a desktop for one thing because it's just always on. I can attach stuff to it. It's on the network. I can print to it. You know, it's just nice having that always on computer in the house and just, you know, the, the stability of that. You're not unplugging and plugging things in, you know, the monitor, you know, like for example, the monitor is Thunderbolt 2 or the, the Apple Thunderbolt display, right? I'm still rocking non-ret over here. It kills me every time mm. I look at it, but that's what I got. And like, you know, I don't have to be constantly unplugging and plugging them back in because that's fraught and just causes weird issues. And it's just, it's just nice having a nice stable setup. Of course, you need that portability. And then so, yeah, it's difficult keeping the development environments in sync. Like my prettier config files, who knows what version of the prettier config files being used on any given computer at any given time. If I hit save, I actually don't know what's happening right now. It's kind of a mess. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? So, yeah. Well, so I've said many, many times on the show that I feel like it would be hard for me to completely walk away from having a laptop as a main machine because what if I have to go somewhere? What if I have to travel, et cetera? And um, I'm starting to get away from that a little bit. And that's strictly because I have a job now where I can leave, I can go on vacation and not have to think about what if something's on fire. So I think honestly, that was my biggest tether to feeling like I have to have a laptop is because if I do have to leave, I have to have this thing here just in case something would happen. I don't know if that's good. It sounds like more of a uh, personal issue to work out, right? But that was a big tie for me. And so when you're talking about having something that's there, that's always on, that's stable, uh, I can I I can really appreciate that thought. And it was nice, like when I was using my Windows PC for work, it was nice having that because it was always there. It was doing its thing. Um, I sit down, hit a space bar, it opens up, turns on. Like if my if my um, my laptop were to restart because Apple or macOS decided to to update, um, I can't type the password in on a Bluetooth <laughs> keyboard. I have to go over, pick my laptop up, open it up, type the password in, close it, go back to my 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 keyboard. Right. Yeah. Because I have the longer Thunderbolt cable, I have my laptop sitting over there, so I don't hear the fan all the time. Um, but anyway. <laughs> I recognize these are the first, the first world problems, but yeah, 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 definitely. But like, like, like Thomas is saying in the chat at home, it's a desktop at the coffee shop. It's a laptop. Like I can like that. I can appreciate that too. But I think the, the pandemic or quarantine kind of, it'll be nice when we're able to do that again, whenever that is. But I guess that's sort of left my mind currently as well. But yeah, I'm really trying to, I realized that I would carry my laptop around with me. And so whenever I have my laptop there that I'm associating it with work. And so my mind was always kind of on work because my laptop was there. You know, like I might get a, a Chrome notification from Slack or something, even if I didn't want Slack open and suddenly I'm back in that world. So I'm trying to have a better separation now. I went out for breakfast with a, a friend of mine. I didn't bring my laptop. And so I started getting pings on Slack on my phone. Hey, servers are down. Things are not working. Like, I wasn't that far from home. I was like maybe 15 minutes from home, but I really didn't want to go back. I wanted to see my friend. So I'm like, hey, can I borrow your, your MacBook for a little bit? <laughs> and like did the best I could trying to SSH into things. Even though I didn't have the right, you know, keys or logins or one password into AWS, right? I tried, I tried to do the best I could just trying to log in on my, my friend's computer while we're trying to like order breakfast at a 
<laughs> yeah. Their breakfast place, and it was just uh, that was a that was a nightmare. I think about that every time I don't bring my laptop somewhere. I'm like, I know something's gonna happen. With Side Door, I had a terminal app on my iPad, so I could terminal it like SSH into Prod if I needed to to get into Tinker or something, which I had to, I have done before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I checked that Slack because I still work with Side Door. Uh, it's more of like an, an advisor role, so I'm you know I'm still involved in like the roadmap and helping them sort of cut through the cruft in like feature suggestions and things like that. So I still, you know, I'm still on retainer for that. Um, so sometimes I'll sign into the Slack just to like catch up on stuff and I'll see like the constant like wall of, we need this, we need that. This person's talking about this, this person's talking, just like this full court press all the time. Just boom, boom. Like it's so hard. And you're just over here like, not my problem. Yeah, really what I think it comes down to there is just boundaries and process. But that's another conversation. <laughs> for sure, for sure. We got plenty to talk about today. So yeah, the thing I did want to talk about today uh, was something that I was talking with Greg earlier about. And um, so MetaLab standardized, like we do a ton of front-end work. So React, TypeScript, lots of TypeScript, lots of React stuff. Uh, I think pretty much all new work is is TypeScript related. Um, and we do do we do backend work as well, just not as much, because it seems like a lot of the clients I've talked to or I've observed in the past, they just need like bigger. They think they need bigger teams, and we can provide for them. We will be like, we can give you four or five devs, and they're like, we need twenty for our timeline, you know. Which also that is another conversation as well. Uh, but so because of that, you know, we get a lot more front end work, and so the back end work is they typically try to standardize on Rails. And, um, yeah, so anyway, I, I'm trying to pick and choose like what I'm spending my time on. I'm trying to not do too much coding outside of work right now. I'm trying to like fix my sleep schedule and stuff. But when I have been doing programming work, I've been trying to keep it JavaScript related and TypeScript related. Uh, and so I have a couple of small side projects I'm working on, one of which needs to have an API. And so I'm thinking to myself, do I pick up Rails because... Eventually, I will end up having Rails work. Do I keep using Laravel because I'm somewhat comfortable in it now, even though uh, I foreseeably, like for the foreseeable future, I won't be doing any Laravel at all? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with picking this like something different than what I'm working in. It's just I'm trying to maximize my like learning and time input. Uh, and so then I'm like, okay, well, let's look at what we have in the JS world. Let's look at Go. There's Go, yeah, there's Go. Um, but also then I'm like, okay, so if I'm really trying to focus in on TypeScript right now. Let's let's see what's going on in the TypeScript world. And it's like a scattershot. You know, like so okay, if I name you a language, you might be able to like tell me about a MVC framework it has, right? So Alright, let's do this. Let's play the game. Let's go. Okay, so well if I say Ruby. Rails. Uh PHP. It's gotta be Laravel, right? Java. Um Java, I don't know. Jeez, I, I should know this. I don't know. Spring? That's not an yeah. MVC framework, am I right? play or spring or whatever it's called but yeah that's it's close enough you know all right sure um go mm, we don't know it's not really one there's smaller ones like um uh there's there's smaller ones like you know the standard library i guess but also chai chai has some stuff buff uh gorilla gorilla is another one that You've has like a bunch of, but it's not but it's not an mvc framework is what i'm getting at i guess mm -hmm. all right so then we go what are they like python oh it's django obviously yeah all right and then ASP.NET, they literally just call it ASP.NET MVC, real original. Elixir. And then Phoenix, of course. Of course. Uh, Kotlin. You got me. Kator. 
Okay. My po- my point is there is one. Okay. Like like Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Uh, I guess what I mean is is there's more major things uh, is is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, so like Python, Django, or Flask, and then you get to JavaScript, and it's like similar to Go, right? So Go Go has one called Buffalo, and there's a couple more that are sort of like these all in. I guess what I mean is fully featured all in full stack uh, MVC framework, right? Uh, so then you get to go and there's Buffalo and it's, it's, it's not super mature yet. It hasn't been around that long. Oh, I guess like rust, like there, like if you go to rust, there's several already. Um, Swift, Swift too is they're trying to, from last time I checked, they're trying to come up with something for Swift on the server that is reasonable. Vapor was one. Right, right. Fairly certain Vapor. Uh, there's another one as well. I can't recall the name off the top of my head. Um, Okay, so we're getting into like, you know, maybe less sort of all in, like the community's all in on this this solution, right? But yeah, so then you get to JavaScript and heck, even Crystal has like Lucky, for example. Um, so yeah, you get to JavaScript and there might be a few. So there's like Adonis and Adonis is chugging along. It's got a small but like dedicated community. What else have you though? Well, all right, so JavaScript, when people think of web servers in JavaScript, just to start there, like serving up web content on JavaScript, all I know is Express mm-hmm. and, um, I don't know, Next maybe, but Next uses Express, I think, behind the scenes, right? Uh, yeah, for like API. Um, yeah. I think you can, I think it's pluggable, but yeah. So maybe you've got Next, maybe you've got Express, but... Are there others at least that are similar to that? There's a ton, yeah. There's Fastify, which is a popular one now. Um, there is uh, what's the other one? The Walmart Labs one, uh, not Joy. Joy is one of its packages. Bop, bop, happy, there's happy. So Express is like bare bones, right? Like you have to put everything together. It doesn't even ship with a body parser for JSON or anything, right? Because um, I always, whenever I'm using Express, I always forget to install Body Parser, and they're like, "Why is Request.Body like not working?" And oh, like, my oh God, I have to serious? actually install. Yeah, you have to install Body Parser uh. separately, which I guess is part of the goal, right? It's supposed to be like ultra minimal. Um, you kind of build it, but that's what that's essentially. I don't want to have to make those decisions. So anyway, you get like Fastify, which gets closer because Fastify has built-in uh, route configs. So when you're configuring a route, you can you can use uh, I think it's called Yup or Joy, one of the two. Basically, it's just like JSON schema. So you can say this route it needs to have this type of payload shape in order for the request to be valid, right? So you get that for free. You get some other stuff for free. You get logging for free. You get so like Express, you have to install your own logger. You have to you know everything, right? Um, but that's not that's what I don't want. I don't want to have to do all that. I want the opinions. I want the uh, rules to follow and. Uh, so yeah, so that was one side of the, the, the thought for me is like wanting that for myself for building stuff on the side. Um, and number two, the other side of it is, I guess from the work side of it, you know, of having, have been having discussions with people. No, I won't jump ahead. That's jumping ahead a little bit. So anyway, like I'm looking at the different options and Adonis might be one of the more fully featured ones, right? That has, well, I guess why fully featured, I mean, it has like mailer, like has drivers for different mailing services, has logging built in, has some sort of CLI where I can maybe like boot up a, a console, you know, like boot up into my database or like boot up into an app console. It has, you know, routing figured out for me. It probably has hooks for route validations for me. You know what I mean? So it's just sort of, 
fully featured out of the box batteries included, so to speak. Well, so what's the goal here? Is it just you're kind of surveying it and see what's out there to see what's kind of basically the closest equivalent to Rails and see how popular it is, or are you is yeah. this actually for decisions that you have to make at work? This is yeah the first the first and okay. so I guess what I'm thinking is that like yeah I want to dig deeper into the language and building stuff with the language I don't want to have to learn a hundred different individual libraries mm-hmm. maybe that's what's the what the motivation is I I just don't want to have to learn all the different like it, you know what I mean I I I want sort of one package to learn not a bunch of different packages to learn and that's the main motivation there um, but yeah so anyway I was talking with Greg about this. And today I was actually looking at a couple of things, like one called Blitz.js. And so Blitz... This is really interesting. It's the full stack React framework is is what it's called. Get all those buzzwords in there. Yeah. So what's interesting about Blitz is that it lives on top of Next. So it sort of like augments Next with the things that Next doesn't provide and is sort of outside of Next scope. So what is Next scope, I suppose? Like, so Next gives you a set of rules for for structuring your application, right? Um, But it doesn't necessarily do anything for you in terms of backend. It gives you hooks that you can hook into, like serverless functions and things like that. But uh, Next is primarily the front-end side of things. So, you know, it gives you hooks for fetching data. It gives you hooks hooks for routing. It gives you hooks for all the stuff you would need on your front-end, but it doesn't necessarily do anything for you for back-end API development. Yeah, and that's how you use Nuxt in DK, right? I mean, you had the whole backend in in Rails and then in in Elixir, right? And Nuxt was the mm-hmm. literally just the front end and GraphQL client into all that. Right. So so Blitz takes where Next kind of leaves off. Uh, it says it's inspired by Ruby on Rails, um, but basically what it does is it sort of bolts on the data the data application side of things to your next app. And it sort of wraps next and gives you a bigger thing on top of next. So um, I think by default, it uses the Prisma DB client. Uh, and so because you use Prisma, you get the um, type safe uh, ORM layer. Uh, you get the, the tooling that comes with Prisma. So Prisma has actually a pretty nice uh, database view basically like CRUD, right? So you, you scaffold your database, you boot up a server, and it gives you like, oh, now I have edible, editable tables and a web app I can use to actually pre-fill my data. It's sort of generalized, right? So, so basically a bolt-on like admin panel for your data. Um, Prisma gives you like migration tooling, forward, backward, whatever. Um, so it kind of like gives you the whole ORM side of things. Um, and then on top of that, it stitches like Prisma and and next together so you have these hooks well what's interesting i mean this is their their kind of top build feature the zero api data layer where it looks like you basically write code you write components i guess front-end components that call into the database but that call to the database is totally abstracted across the api layer you don't have to write that you know graphql or rest api or whatever it's supposed to just somehow generate any api uh, which yeah, I don't know if it's supposed to be human readable or it's just a machine readable API, you know, who knows, but it just calls into that for you. And so basically what you're left with is probably just like an async await, just function call. And uh, mm-hmm. you don't have to, I don't know, worry about that transport. I think, I think that's the main takeaway here, right? Yeah. So like when you're making your pages, 
uh, instead of using some library to make a fetch request to an API somewhere to pull the data in and then, then build the page, uh, yeah, you import a package that's constructed for you and it reach, it's basically like reaching directly into the DB without having to go th across an API boundary, like across service boundaries to get your information because it abstracts that away from you, like you're saying. So that that's cool, but it's like, what if... I guess what I'm getting at is like uh, there's Blitz, you know, Redwood is very similar. I'll put links to these in the show notes as well. Uh, but basically it's like the React stack, right? So it's bas they're basically both like React and Prisma, right? Um, and instead of giving you sort of like this MVC backend, like application development side of things, they sort of blur the, the, the lines between front and the backend. So they give you sort of a monolith it's different because it's not like a monolith in the sense that is it, I guess, is it different? It's not a monolith in the sense that you have like these server built pages because the blitz stuff happens on the client too, but you don't have to write the coupling. Like you don't have to take your business layer and then glue it together via a controller or something like that. Well, it's weird because there's basically no C, right? There's no controller. You've got your model, which is your database and you've got your view, which is react, but Where's the C? The C is kind of meddled in with everything because it's all kind of there. The C, the C is sort of what the it, the C is the basically the um, I guess in a way it's the the client that is generated for you by Prisma because Prisma inspects. So when you when you when you create Prisma migrations, it gives you like this Prisma file and you can actually edit this file if you want. And then Prisma will make your D the database look like what the file should look like. Similar to how you can build GraphQL services from the GraphQL uh, schema definition file. Um, SDL, I guess, right? Schema definition language. So your controller in a sense is that coupled with whatever function is calling those things directly and they just live. It's not in a controller, you know, there, this pattern has to have existed before, right? Like this isn't something that's brand new. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at is like, there doesn't see, so I, I keep saying like Adonis is like kind of what I'm talking about here, but most other things I see that I'm aware of personally are blurring the line. Like you're saying, like the controller kind of disappears and suddenly your react code, your react JSX templates, components, whatever you would call them are like in the app. I don't know how else to phrase that, but I hope it makes sense. I can just I can just hear your brain like short circuiting as you're trying to describe this. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like that old commercial for Reese's peanut butter. Like they round the corner and they slam into each other and like, hey, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. I love it. Yeah. You got your controller in my view. Yeah, I don't know, but so then you like go and look look through the readmes and they're doing so much complicated stuff. They're like pulling away so much stuff from you, and that's great. But I just keep thinking, like, that's so much stuff. Is it all necessary? Does it have to be that way? I just keep, like, going down that route, that route I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you just keep crawling back to go, man. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of scary when those sort of established patterns that we're so used to, that sort of foundations that the web is sort of built on. I mean, from the early days of, you know, CGI bin and Pearl, like, this is how the web has always worked. And taking, starting to abstract that transport layer away is kind of scary and you uh because you're always so concerned when you're just doing web requests right just just doing web requests like that alone all the things you have to think about when i say fetch me something what are the parameters what are the types of the parameters what format is the thing going to come back in what happens if it takes really long what happens if it doesn't come back at all what's the 
what's the you know shape and type of the data that comes back to me? Um, what do I do while I'm doing that fetch? <laughs> you know, how do I present that to the UI? Is it fast enough that I can just wait? Do I have to show a spinner? Do I have to show a progress bar? Like, what if it fails? Uh, and uh, you know, how do you handle that? So many things that a simple function call trying to abstract that away. Oh, it just always it just seems so. I don't know. We're so used to dealing with those issues and like the web is a pretty stable platform, but sometimes it isn't, you know, sometimes you're mobile. Sometimes maybe you're doing a react native thing and like the person's on a crappy cell connection. Maybe they're uh, on some DSL. Maybe they're on <laughs> Tesla's uh, or not Tesla, Elon Musk's Starlink, right? Who knows what the lag's going to be on that? All these things that we don't take for granted and just kind of packaging them up. That seems, uh, it's just a little scary to me. You know, this, I, I always, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but back when .NET 1.0 came out, SOAP and XML was the big thing and web services, that was like their big push. And this is the thing you can do. You define an API that was literally just function calls and, and it would, you could point your, your client program at the SOAP, like the, the, the definition of the API. It would pull down this XML file and then generate like classes for you, client classes that you could use to just call functions as if they were regular functions, but really they're API calls and it was all abstracted away in giant XML <laughs> documents. But yeah, you know, what's old is new again. That's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like this is, ha this can't be a new pattern and I'm trying to figure out what is this called so I can go read about it. Like, you know, find out what the, the, the inspiration was, you know, uh, because like you're saying, it, it does a lot of stuff. So, Blitz, for example, uses, it looks like it uses React query behind the scenes, which I actually like have been growing to like React query quite a bit. Uh, let me just drop this link here in the chat. Um, but React query, at first I was like, oh, this is a lot of like hullabaloo to make some API requests. But after using it for a while and especially using it for a pretty data intensive dashboard app that I'm working on, it it really does extract all of the boilerplate away from you and it gives you a bunch of hooks you can hook into. So for example, you set up a query to hit an endpoint and then on the other side, when you, when you use query, you get is loading, is success, is error, and you get the error object. And uh, you can also get other stuff like, is it cached? You know, how long has this been cached for? Do I need to invalidate the cache? And you kind of get all that stuff for quote unquote free. I mean, you have to know about it uh, and you have to know how to use it, but it's there. So, uh, from what it seemed like under the hood, um, Blitz uses React Query. So in your views, you have this, okay, use this use this query of mine here, and it goes, goes and does a thing. And then you just have access to is success, is error, is loading. And then you just have three components that handle the three different states. And so your component files are just like real short. Here's what the loading looks like. Here's what success looks like. Here's what error looks like. And that's been really nice to work with because... While we're not using Blitz, we still have to do a lot of the wiring and stuff. In the components I'm working on in the app right now, it's very, very clean. You look at the top of the component. Okay, use query. I know what's happening. Okay, I know what the states are here. And it's all just kind of done. And I can really appreciate that. But there is a lot of plumbing that gets attracted away, especially like putting that into Blitz. And Blitz does more for you in terms of like, you know, having Prisma construct your your basically your database client and using that and then pushing it into uh, React Query and you know what I mean it's just there's a lot happening there and then someone breaks left pad and the whole thing falls down yep <laughs> then what's the page weight look like you know 
how big is this thing getting? How heavy is this thing getting? Anyway, anyway, yeah. But I, that's really what I was asking or trying to get to is like, where's the MVC gone? Um, and maybe that's just me needing to realize uh, that's not the aim of the Node community per se. You know, like maybe more people are uh, about, like Go similar to Go, like more people are about smaller services where you might want to pick and choose which uh, piece of the stack that you use. Um, I'm not the target market for that, for my side projects. And maybe that means that um, if it takes more time, I just stick with Laravel or go back to Rails uh, because I know I'll be using that instead of going all in on on TypeScript, I guess. I was just going to make the argument that MVC is a pattern that's particularly well suited to the web. And, you know, because the controller is kind of the glue code, the interface, you know, boundary. But then mm-hmm. I immediately was realized like, oh, no, this is how all of iOS and Mac development <laughs> is structured. All of Cocoa and uh, AppKit and stuff. It's everything is controllers and views and uh you know data models like it's literally literally call everything something controller right so this is it's not unique to the web at all uh it's actually pretty common in in native apps as well even though you've got all of that stuff in the same place there's no you know physical boundary uh that prevents your front end from directly accessing you know some underlying data maybe Mm -hmm. like a sqlite database or something right but that controller code is still there as a sort of separation of concerns and a you know a place to put your business logic. So, I don't know. Yeah, it 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 would be interesting to see what a MVC JavaScript framework. I mean, how Rails like could you make it, and would that be appealing to people? I don't know. Is Rails too old school now way of doing things? I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people say it is. A lot of people. I mean, obviously, tons of businesses run on it. Like tons of businesses run on it. Right. Same with Laravel. Same with whatever like whatever java spring or player whatever it's called like all of them tons tons of commerce happens on them currently right um but yeah i i I don't know i think we're sort of in a growing i my personal take is we're in sort of a growing period right now like people are people are you know starting to figure out what works turns out prisma like it has some sharp edges like it just recently prisma 2 got like decent transaction support which was wild like wrap whatever you want in transaction that is um and it doesn't do maybe maybe this is less important but it doesn't do cascades so you have to like manually do any cascades deletes if you want but some people prefer that anyway um but you know prisma 2 is like pretty cool that's a nice tool it gives you a lot of like that bolt-on admin interface that they build they maintain like that's pretty cool as well it's sort of all plug and play but um yeah it's sort of you know a lot of people like pitching these API basically d- database to API as a service like Hesera or uh, P- Graphile is another one that's kind of like that you know I don't know I think we're sort of in a and this could just me not being around for that long like me being like oh we're in a growing period and everyone like, other people have been like ah this is you know what you said earlier it's all the same well no it's interesting because yeah I mean the the joke since since Node has become a thing has been you know, how many how many days since the latest JavaScript framework? It's always a big zero, right? Mm-hmm. That's been that's been the case since day one. But I, I think you're probably right. What I'm more interested about is uh, sort of why why these patterns develop. This is obviously a reaction to the way people feel about developing apps a certain way, right? And it's just it seems like people don't want to write glue code, and um, that. You know, maybe that's kind of like it's too hard to maintain, or maybe it's a code smell. I don't know what the prevailing 
sort of sentiment is, but there's something, there's some pressure there, whether it's, you know, acknowledged or not, that you don't want to have to, it's it's okay to sort of mix these things together because, oh, we've got JavaScript in the server. We've got JavaScript in the client. Let's just jam them together, right? That's <laughs> because yeah. we can. And that's kind of what people are doing. And I, it's cool to, to see all these tools develop, but you got to wonder at what point do you start teasing things, you know, at what point does an application become so big and complex that you wish you had that abstraction to begin with? You know, I, I'll tell you, I, I'm using Nuxt, right? You know, I mean, I'm barely using Nux. It's basically just a single page view component for remote ham radio. But I use Nux for the conventions that it provides. And I actually started making my own controller classes, plain old JavaScript classes, not even Nux components, nothing special, just plain old class whatever controller. And I inject those into my global scope so I can access them, you know, throughout my application. And what I can do then is then I can abstract away my sort of uh, I, I was going to say model, but like I abstract away all the Vuex, you know, mutators and properties and getters and stuff. It's just plain old properties on the class. You set the property, it does a Vuex mutation. You get the property, you just get the value back. It's reactive. It works with Vuex. Awesome. But then I can include all my own state. I can include my own logic. I can decouple things nicely. And I basically end up with control. And th- those controllers, almost none of them even touch the web layer this is all still just dealing with stuff locally right and yeah. that abstraction actually worked out really well for me because i didn't want to put all the stuff in the view components because i wanted to have different representations of that data uh in different views vue you know v-i-e-w-s right view views like yeah you you want to be able to access the data uh and present it differently and i'll i'll be the first to admit i wasn't sort of totally it's still not totally a clean boundary there. Like there's, there's lots that could be abstracted away more, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah. I mean, it's cool that you're able to leverage just the plain language and make that work. Right. Instead of having to be stuck to uh, a framework abstraction. And I think really like earlier I was saying, I didn't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, but earlier what I was alluding to was the idea of like from, from scratch flexible versus framework flexible. Right. So one of the, one of the reasons why things at MetaLab are usually so from scratch, not even create react app, just like from scratch react applications is because of the perceived flexibility of being able to do that. You can do literally whatever you want. So from scratch, you literally mean make a package.json file and just start adding dependencies to it. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the argument for that is complete flexibility. You can do whatever you want, whatever the client needs, you can do it because you, there's no rules that could uh, potentially hold you back, right? And so I've been thinking about, okay, well, you know, that's flexible, flexible, okay? Using air quotes. Quote, unquote, air quote, flexible. And then you, on the other side, have framework flexible. So, like, pick something like next Next sort of tells you this is where you put this type of thing, or Nuxt even, this is where you put this type of thing. If it's a plugin that you need to register globally, you put it in the plugins folder. If it's a if it's a middleware that happens on each route, you put it in the middleware directory. If it's a, you know, there's, there's rules for stuff. If it's a page, you put it in the pages directory. You can break out of that, but you maybe, you might lose some of plug and play functionality, but you know, that's, that's up to you. So yeah, I think in my Nuxt app, I think my lib folder is bigger than my components folder at this point. <laughs> right, right. So, so you know, the the trade-off there is 
there's there's basically like you don't have to reinvent wheels like okay i have to do this thing where should this go do i have a concept for this yet crap does this play well with another concept that i have do i have to refactor right so if the framework you know like next we've we've historically said is very good and next i've also heard is very good at this as well you know giving you rules but allowing you to inject if you need to but basically the the fear of going with the framework as opposed to reinventing your wheels because of complete freedom is that um, what if the framework was built in a way where you couldn't just leverage a plain JavaScript class? What if you had to come up with some concept that the framework provides you for? And what if you're stuck in that? And what if that stifles, like what if you have, then have to go back to a client and say, oh, we can't do that this way because of this framework we picked, right? It's not just the technical limitations of that, but also the sort of mindset the framework gets you into. I mean, how mm. how many years did I write Rails applications that were just one-to-one mappings between a model and a controller yeah right like that's a that's an anti-pattern i realize that now i didn't understand like that's well tutorials do let's write a blog let's have a posts controller and make post models and do the crud actions on a post controller Mm -hmm. it never once occurred to me that uh maybe that's you know yeah that's a one-to-one mapping for simplicity but i never it took me a long time to go beyond that understanding and be like oh i can i can use models and controllers but it doesn't have to be in this very simplistic way and once you sort of break out of that and uh, you know understand that okay even like the 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 easy case the 90 or like the 80 percent case of the framework is going to guide you in a certain way you you don't have to go that way and and again it's not a technical limitation it's sort of a uh preconceived notion right yeah so what got me thinking of this was this app i'm working on obviously like i said it's from scratch react uh and I'm installing a couple of different integration services that they want to add. And so normally with Nuxtu, I'm like, oh, that goes here. Done. It's done, you know. Um, but since this is from scratch, I look at it and be like, okay, wh- what are the patterns here? Where does this make sense? Does it make sense to put in the index file? No, because React Query hasn't been initialized yet. So we don't really have like the base defaults there yet. Okay, so it has to go farther. Okay, at that point, then it has to be in a component because... React Query is being initialized in a React Query provider component that's wrapping uh, the tree like higher up, right? So there's like there's like there's like uh, the top level. Then there's the React Query wrap provider. Then there's the Redux provider. Then there's the Redux like router or whatever. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got I've got the screenshot you sent me earlier today. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything here. There's really there's nothing that could be spoiled here. So it says const app root equals, and then I'm gonna list you things just stop just stop me whenever you want redux provider then react query provider the nested in that connected router then theme provider then loading provider then modal provider then a bunch of routes uh <laughs> like it just right. goes on and on so with with nuxt let's say uh because i think a lot of people are familiar with nuxt or next specifically nuxt let's say that okay we want to we want to do like a initialization of a service say we're working with sentry and we want to initialize sentry with the current user's information uh with nuxt where would you put that that would be a plugin just get in there and ship it yeah exactly easy okay so in a custom view app or react app where would you put that well it depends right depends on how it's built so uh, I'm kind of like looking all over the place, like where does it make sense? In my mind, a provider is something that should provide something to the context for its children. It should take something, set it up, and eject, like it should give something to its descendants in the tree, right? 
but that's not necessarily the case because in looking at some of the other providers, I'm like, oh, this is really only doing setup or it's either like the loading provider checks to see if React query is currently any running any queries. And if it is currently running queries, then it shows a loading animation. And if it's not, then it, it does not show a loading animation. It renders the children pass to it. Okay. So it doesn't provide anything to the children in the tree. It's just either showing a loader or the tree, right? So it's not necessarily a provider in the sense that's providing something, right? So I think I was trying to be, I was sticking to semantics. The, your, your initialization has to happen, happen in order. Yes. And by nesting it, you're sort of, yeah, you're guaranteed that particular order. And listen, it's kind of, yeah, it's nasty to look at, but listen, browsers are really good at handling nested DOMs of things. Like that's all <laughs> they do, like th this is yeah, nothing yeah. to your browser. They're like, yeah, nest things, a hundred things deep, whatever. That's just, you know, CNN.com on a normal day. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So after looking around for a while and being like, okay, I should put this here. No, it doesn't feel right. Should I put it there? I just made a sentry provider and threw it behind the, the uh, React query provider. So that way I had access to uh, the queries that I needed and just called it a day. Just render, <laughs> like have a component, just render the children straight out and then just have a couple of use effects here that, you know, fetches the current user if it, from the cache or from the API, and then you know do this entry initialization. So I I would poke more fun at you if it weren't for the fact that I did the exact same thing today in my next app for admittedly bad technical design decisions. I was forced to do that, and you know what? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I hate it, but it works. <laughs> so bringing it back to the original point I was making, right? So I could do that. I could message the devs and then we could all just kind of go around about thinking about, okay, it could go here. It could go there. It makes sense to put it over here, but it also makes sense to put it over there. Or we could use Next or Nux and just make a plugin because that's what Nux has to do, you know, which is faster in the end. That's not necessarily a question, but you know what I mean? That's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's like you get, you get complete and utter flexibility at the cost of some more decision-making that has to happen, but maybe not all decisions are worth spending the time on because they're sort of solved problems. I guess that's what I'm getting at. So as a indie developer, sort of when you don't have this big corpus of you know, projects to pull from, you might spend a lot of time sort of fretting about the decision. But at MetaLab, I don't know what you have access to there. Maybe maybe there's some kind of issues where you can't see your previous repos, but surely you can find notions somewhere, sort of some guidance on what's been done before and just follow that blindly and just assume that that's the right decision because either someone spent a lot of time making that decision once and it's fine, but you know, mostly just because that's what people are going to understand. You know, and that's where they're going to go to look for things, look for things first. Because they have experience in that, you know. At least you have that sort of to fall back on, where you just have that previous. I mean, kind of. We don't. We don't have like standard templates that we like packages that we start with. Mm -hmm. So every every dev like engineering lead could start a project however they see fit. While there are things that could be you know taken from, and I know that a lot of people do. They take code from previous projects just to save time. Makes sense. There's not a standard, is, I guess is what I'm getting at. There's not a document, there's no documentation for it. There's sort of dig through the code for yourself and decide is, is this implemented in a way that I can be reused or it can be reused or is it implemented very specifically for this use case for this, this project? Well, Sean, I think you just found the use of your 20% time. <laughs> no, really, you can, just take a, you can just take a survey of some stuff that's out there and just provide some, you know, write a document that's just guidelines. You know, it doesn't have to be hard and fast. You know, the whole point is that it's custom and you need to be able to do 
what best suits the application. But yeah, m- maybe you could. Maybe that's a like a powerful thing where you could be like, hey, uh, you need to implement authentication. Here's three things, the top three things that we've done before to look for inspiration. I don't know. I, I, it doesn't sound very exciting, I admit. Or I could just link to the next JS docs. <laughs> yeah, or you could just spend all that time just uh, trying to convert everyone. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, I don't, yeah, I, it, it's, it's more so just me being grouchy, I, I guess, is, is really what I'm thinking about. Like, there's more context, they have more context than I do in terms of is Next flexible enough? I think it probably would be, but I don't have the concrete answer for that, you know? Um, and on top of that, I, I spend a lot of my free time, like, podcasting about new software or whatever. And they, they don't have, they, like, a lot of people have other hobbies and maybe that's something I need to work on. But, you know, I'm constantly coming in and sharing stuff and then people will be like, oh, I've never seen that before, you know, which is which is cool. And that doesn't mean that I'm more informed than anyone else. It just means that maybe I spend more time looking at Hacker News or Lobsters or whatever, you know, Lobsters. Yeah, Lobs. It's like a Hacker News, but it's supposedly less uh, orange side ish. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget when I started my job at Agilent, how quickly I realized that I've done software development in my free time since I knew how to do it, right? For fun. And having it become a job and then going to a workplace, but then interacting with people who are like, just treat programming as a job. You know, like the one one guy across the hall hall from me, he was like, oh yeah, I, I was like cutting tiles for bathrooms through college. And then I just like learn how to program and here I am, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he gets there early, he stays till the end of the day and then just turns the computer off and forgets about software development until he gets back in the morning. Yeah. That's a real thing that people do and it's totally healthy and fine and probably <laughs> we should encourage it within the community, honestly. Yeah. I'm trying to get more like that. I'm trying to be more like that. I've been sleeping way more. So now that the new like Apple watch thing came out with uh, like the sleep tracking, I've been using that. And uh, my my average uh, sleep per night has been going up, which is good. So I, I, I'm, uh, here's maybe a conclusion I might try to make here. And I'm, I'm constantly making resolutions that never stick to on this podcast. Okay. Just preface it with that. 242 <laughs> episodes in. How many of these have we kept? Is anyone keeping track? Well, let me, I'm just thinking about a lot about this. Feel free to, to just tell me to shut up and we can end the show whenever. But... Thanks to our sponsors this week. Realistically, most of my applications are like thin wrappers over a database, right? Ba- basically, right? I mean, DK obviously was a little bigger. And, and like you were saying earlier, not every API is just a one-to-one. Like sometimes you probably should present the data or transform the data in some way that makes sense to your client, right? It shouldn't necessarily be one-to-one out of the database. With that in mind, it's like, okay, so why not just use something like closer to the metal, like Prisma, right? So Prisma gets you, really what I don't want to do is decide, like find my own, I don't want to come up with my own migration strategy. I don't want to come up with my own, you know, dev prod testing database strategy. I don't want to do that. It's like, why don't I just pick Prisma? It's TypeScript anyway. And then use Prisma with whatever works in front of it. So Fastify, so that way it gets rid of some of the boilerplate for me. You know what I mean? Why, why don't I just stop agonizing and, and just say, like, this gives me pretty close, and it keeps me in TypeScript for now, so let's just do that. And if I need to, say, redo something later, at least the data model is right. 
That's the most important thing, right? What you're hearing is me giving in and giving up. There's another option that you have not considered yet. Just go back to Elixir? No, 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 no. I've been considering that. You know what you want. You're a developer. You know how to push things to GitHub. You could, you could make this framework. Mm. You, could, you could make a very simple just little glue amount of framework, make a couple of opinionated decisions, uh, make it for yourself. Don't intend on making it public or available to anyone. If that happens to happen, eh, might be cool. I don't want it that bad, Rockwell. I'm just saying, it could be cool. Good excuse to like get into the nitty-gritty of TypeScript, what it's like to sort of design your own abstract framework for things. Yeah, really, like, really, I think what I'm really missing is, and I was talking with a friend of the show, Brian Joseph, about this this morning, and I was like, I kind of miss Elixir, and he's like, what do you miss about it? And I said, feeling comfortable, like feeling like I know something, like I really know something, right? Mm-hmm. The mastery. That's what I miss. Honestly, so uh, I like my current job, and my current job is very TypeScript heavy. So, uh, yeah, and I, I feel like it's never wrong to spend time like getting better JavaScript mastery because that's sort of like a universal skill that can be applied almost in any role, uh, as far as engineering goes. But yeah, that's really what I miss is that feeling of mastery, feeling like I have a very good grip on this. Laravel, I couldn't quite get there because I didn't spend enough time on it. Rails, it's been years, you know. Um, in JavaScript, I haven't invested the time to feel the mastery besides uh, mastering components and slicing up UIs, you know? So that's what this is all about. <laughs> anyway, that's that's just kind of like what's going on in my head around that. Like, where did the MVC go? Where are these patterns that I'm familiar with? Why why is it prevalent in this community? And there are certain, like I said, Adonis exists. And in Go, you know, other things exist for it. It's just... It's not it's not the target, you know, target market. That's not necessarily what they're trying to do with those languages. So hmm. anyhow. That's all I have to say on that. MVC.js, you heard it here first. The inception by Sean Walsh and GitHub. Go check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes to the initial commit. It's all it's TypeScript only. I think really at the end of the day, if like the data model is good and you can get your data like this, again, this is me just giving up. This is me laying on the ground, right? Like, have you seen the Calvin and Hobbes? I think it's Calvin and Hobbes. No, you're is thinking of uh, Charlie George Brown, Ma- George George Michael, no. and Arrested yes. Development. Yes, yes, yes. Coming yes. home from school, just the lunchbox, and just laying on the floor. Face That's down. what's happening right now. It's happening in real time in front of these people. We'll put a link to the GIF in the show notes. <laughs> well, I feel like the last arc of the show has been me floundering and unable to make a choice <laughs> so no, this is good we get we get a ton more episodes out of this another hundred episodes of floundering sean let's go we're gonna take a vote we're gonna take a vote what, what should i do people we'll just do that don't vote man be a free spirit do what you want you can do what you want now uh if people want to partake in telling me what to do with my career how can they do that <laughs> they can tweet you on twitter sean is sean washbot I'm Shrockwell, S-C-H, Rockwell. Don't forget it. And the show is on DNC Cast. Well, uh, the show notes will be available at dnc.show because Rockwell fixed the website. Thank you, Rockwell. You're welcome. So any of the links, we mentioned like 10 frameworks off the top of the, the, the episode. So those will all be linked in the, the notes at dnc.show. If you want to be a part of the show, you can watch us on Twitch Thursday night, 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern. We're streaming live, recording, chatting. Having an adult beverage, 
or two, come stop by. Twitch.tv slash DNCcast. Last but not least, thanks to Spec for having us, putting us on the world. And if you're into other design development related shows, head over to Spec.fm and check them out. All right. I'll see ya. All right, man. Have a good week. Bye. People keep calling this a pod. I'm going to shut it down. Like there's going to be no more episodes until people call it a podcast. Put my foot down.